This show is brought to you in part by the Rise Up, Stonewall, and the LGBTQ plus rights movement exhibit opening October 17th at the Illinois Holocaust Museum in Skokie. Find out more at ilholocaustmuseum.org. Well, hey, y'all. It's another episode of Chicago Queer Now, and I'm your co-host, Adam Rhodes, with Taryn Allen. How you doing, Taryn? I'm good. How are you, Adam? I'm good. It's a very lazy day in this house. There are a lot of dogs asleep and snoring. Um, it, it's been yeah, a sleepy very, week. I feel that. It has been. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited for all we have for everyone in this episode. We talk about pride, which is a really ever-evolving topic. And we, we have a very special interview for you today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting into like fall and spooky season. And usually pride obviously is in June, but this mm-hmm. year... And last year, because of the pandemic, we're kind of shifting that to October. So we're going to dig into uh, how we feel about Chicago Pride happening or not happening this year. Um, Yeah, no, let's talk about Pride. Pride here in Chicago has not happened for the past two years, as it hasn't happened probably most of anywhere. Yeah. Because of the pandemic, um, they just recently canceled at the time we're recording this just recently canceled the chicago pride parade which was supposed to happen in early october mm-hmm. um but yeah i guess um to start off on like, a lighter one more time. I, I was gonna ask like do you feel like the cancellation was a good call yeah i'm actually really happy they did it i like i'm i don't think these like big in-person events should be happening at all like yeah they should have canceled Lollapalooza they should have canceled market days they should not be having pride events all of this Um, big time so yeah I think it's obviously upsetting because the community definitely especially in the past several after the past several years that we've had I think the community definitely needs a time to like celebrate ourselves and just like be our like queer selves together yeah um but unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get that until people get their shit together. Right. And it sucks because obviously it felt like a smart move at the time to like cancel it in June and kind of push it to the fall. But then like, absolutely, obviously people were predicting like things with variants and just like, what what are we on? Like the sixth wave now? Who knows? True. Um, like 10,000. Which wave. is like more pandemic. So part of me is like, it would have been way safer to have it in June anyway. And just like do it yeah. but but no no events we're we're gonna wait until it's safe and then hopefully have a mm-hmm. pride that is very worth the wait oh my god imagine the first pride after the pandemic though that feels like it's gonna be the most lit experience of my life it's gonna be wild get ready right can't wait to get pride drunk at that pride <laughs> <laughs> karen and i talk about that a lot and it's like there's like drunk and then there's pride drunk oh wow i don't know scary. if i've truly experienced that so scary i mean i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> like it's not a great there's a reason it's like only a once a year event yeah um, that makes sense yeah um but yeah so uh i don't know about you but i love pride events um i know some people think they're a little tacky and that they can be very corporate and they absolutely fucking can mm-hmm. um but i love uh just like being amongst queer people my absolute favorite pride event by far has been the queer liberation march in new york i think that's um that's absolutely like what pride should be it should be a protest it should be us taking space and not giving it to banks and police officers right Um, right and i was actually there with one of my best 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 judies uh matt reba he works at the wall street journal shout out to matt um and he and i went it was the first year and we just like shit we 
heard about it on social media and we're just like, hey, let's go. And it was everything I wanted and more. And oh. I wish more people would like experience that pride. That sounds awesome. It was so wonderful. Like there were people were holding banners that said like no cops at pride and like no like anti-ice posters and like it was truly like the exact vibe that like I think queer people want at pride yeah and oh not, that sounds like, great oh it was lovely I like can't tell you how much fun it was I kind of want to go for it next year yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I've really only to. been I've really only been to like two different big pride events um the first one was actually while I was studying abroad in college. Um, so it was in like a small town in Sweden. It was like very chill, Aww. just kind of like a little like parade, like little parade parade. thing. Parade. <laughs> <laughs> a little parade. Um, <laughs> that's in Swedish. Um, in Swedish for parade. <laughs> it was just like a small parade. It was very chill. It was like kind of rainy, but it was just like good vibes all around, you know? Oh. I love that. Um, oh my gosh, that's so cute. Then, do you have any photos of that? I do. Yeah, I'll just share oh my some. Gosh, send it to me. Yeah, I want to see like quaint Swedish pride. That sounds yeah. lovely. It was lovely. Um, and then the second one I went to was Denver Pride 2019, which oh, was yeah. like really awesome. It was, yeah, admittedly not as good of a just like radical like protest vibe as the one you're describing. It was very much like capitalist pride parade. Um. But at the time I had like literally days ago graduated from college. My girlfriend was in town. Like we had friends there. My sister was there. Like we wore matching t-shirts and it was just like a blast. Um, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you definitely got to lean into like the like kind of silliness of it all. Sometimes like wear the matching t-shirts, wear like the rainbow tutu. Like, yeah, honestly, like where else can you do that kind of shit? Yeah, right. And Um, events like that where just like, you know, rainbow capitalism is reigning supreme, but mm-hmm. you can still have a good time. And right. You know, mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so speaking of rainbow capitalism, um, pride in 2021 is, well, number one, not happening. And then number two, um, kind of up for debate on what it looks like. Um, yeah. There are some people who say that every single person should be allowed to attend pride and be in a pride parade. And right be celebrated um but there's a very strong faction of the queer community that say pride is not for everybody um that police particularly police i think is who this comes down on do not belong at pride i think the criticism comes from the fact that the stonewall riots which pride commemorates every year Mm -hmm. was a literal protest and riot against police brutality. Um, right. The mafia owned Stonewall Inn bar in New York City was raided by police June 28th to 29th on um, 1969 in New York City. Obviously there were uprisings before that in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, but the one in New York City was actually the galvanizing moment to the modern queer liberation movement. And it was literally a response to police brutality. So police of pride has left a lot of people with a sour taste in their mouth. And I think, admittedly, rightly so. I think I don't like Rightfully so. Yeah. yeah. I don't like hard, police hard agree. at all. Hard agree. Um, but so I think there's another interesting conversation about, like, should corporations be allowed a pride? Because, you know, like, <laughs> when does, like, Visa having a pride float cross the line from, like, oh, we're, like, allies and we like you to, like, we want your money, please, goodbye. Right. So yeah. Like, what are what are your thoughts on that, Taryn? Yeah, obviously with like big corporations, I feel like there isn't a lot of forgiveness there. I feel like with some businesses, 
if you can look at things that they're doing in their like everyday running of the business in terms of like, you know, hiring trans people, hiring queer people and people of color, like, you know, just like true equality, uh, like true opportunity, then I think you kind of like earn your right a little bit more to like celebrate with the community. But 100%, if it's like just for show and I know you kind of caught some people in the act this year, like taking down their rainbows on July 1st, like that type of thing is Lori. It's just bullshit, you know? Yeah. It's that like, okay, we're only going to like the, when you take down your rainbow logo, like Mm -hmm. July 1st, like that, we see you diva. Right. The girls see you and the guys in the lady see you. Like groups like ice, just like changing to a pride logo on Twitter, like that kind of stuff. The ICE logo, the CPD pride logo, the, oh any police God. department pride logo, any yeah. like any armed agency should not have a pride logo. Yeah, 100%. Um, oh my God. I like truly thought I had a stroke when I saw the ICE logo. Um, yeah, I think pride is, I think, an evolving conversation. I think there's, I mean, I feel like nobody is ever going to be happy with like the way pride is like the queer community at large is never going to be completely and universally happy with like what pride is because some people want it to be like the fucking rainbow capitalist party that it is but then Mm -hmm. some people want it to be the queer liberation march and then some people don't want um like public displays of effect or like people don't want like the there's that conversation about like where fetish and kink belongs at pride right or if like you're allowed to like be in a jock strap and like live in your life um yeah like does it have to be does it have to be kid friendly and such yes does it have to does pride have to be kid friendly or do we have to like sanitize ourselves for people yeah um yeah that's a whole thing and and i think that's like in some ways a helpful part of pride month in general is that just like all of those discourses kind of rise to the surface and Mm -hmm we're able to engage like both queer people and non-queer people in having those conversations. And just like, I think it's okay that it's an ongoing conversation to like figure things out. Um, yeah, for sure. But obviously I definitely lean that it should be like more radical and not monetized. Uh, a and, radical like, pride no is cops like at pride. pride. Yeah. So obviously I mentioned that like Denver pride when I went was totally a blast and that we had matching shirts. Um, I am actually wearing that shirt today. It's really funny. Let me see. I'm standing up. Yes. Oh my God, that's a gorgeous shirt. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a bubble letter, like pride. Like, no, no, that's no. like an like, art piece. It's not rainbow. It's an art piece printed on a t-shirt. Me and Monica had matching ones. And it's just these like, just like naked women kind of draped over each other. And one we is like it. darker skin tone with dark hair. That's Monica, obviously. And the other one is like fair with brown hair. And that's me, obviously. So we're mm. basically like, this is us encapsulated in this art piece. So we had them custom made on t-shirts and I just love them. And it's such a good memory. Okay. So you definitely buried the lady which is like we made matching t-shirts i like <laughs> was thinking like high school homecoming t-shirts for no, pride it's classy. not like it's classy beautiful art pieces <laughs> um damn oh, shout I, out I to say, taryn for like knowing how to do everything well oh stop i would say also one of my favorite things about pride month in general is just like being able to use uh that's homophobic as a response to everything bad that yes. happens in your life you're mm-hmm. like oh like the line is too long at the grocery store that's homophobic against us mm-hmm. and i feel targeted Yes, 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 yes. Yes, so minor inconveniences during Pride Month are anti-queer. Exactly. Queerphobic, homophobic, all of that. Yeah. Um, ooh, what about what you? How do, how do, yeah, how do you, how do you celebrate Pride? 
um i don't know i usually just like to like hang out in some capacities like with my gay friends um i like to like just you know if we have like a pride party at like someone's apartment or getting together for drinks or something um the last pride that i went to in new york city was my was the last pride i had uh before the pandemic mm-hmm. and i saw so many of my friends there i was with a bunch of people that i was in the union with at work um who i was very good friends with just like i think that's the biggest group that i've been to pride with as well and it was just like really fucking cool to like i guess be like a young 20 something in New York City during Pride. I apologize in advance if anyone hears Abachi crying. Her best friend Randy is busy and she obviously has a lot of feelings about it. Yeah, that sounds like such a good vibe. I'm jealous mm-hmm. of, yeah, like being in New York, like physically very near to all of the history there. That Actually, sounds really cool. The Pride Parade in New York, like it ends at Stonewall. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Which is what I will say the worst place in the parade to be. Really? The worst place in the parade to, is because, to, first of all, it takes everyone like seven hours to get to you, like literal hours. I was yeah. at, I was close to Stonewall one year, actually the year that Hillary Clinton like surprised everyone and showed up for, it was uh, the one before the election. And like, we literally were waiting for like three hours for the parade to start, to get to us. Right. And I was like, this is end. awful. I hate it. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I learned that you go further uptown for the parade. Um, less sense. people, more room. Um, easier access to transit, all that fun stuff. So um, if you're going to New York City Pride, go uptown. Well, I can't wait for you to like be back there and be able to experience that again with your friends. I'm so excited. Sounds magical. Oh my gosh, we should all, listen, we should have a reader-sponsored trip to New York City Pride next year. Oh my God, yeah. Chicago Queer Now comes to New York City Pride. Ooh, imagine. Tracy? Make it happen. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, amazing. Um... Coming up next on the podcast, we are actually going to be talking with our illustrious, one of our illustrious leaders, Karen Hawkins, who is my editor at the paper, the co-publisher and co-editor-in-chief at the paper, and is just truly one of the most all-around, most fantastic people I know. So I'm just, yeah, yeah, I can't say enough fabulous things about Karen. Um, So stay tuned for this. I, yeah, I, I love Karen. Cool. Chicago Reader Podcasts are recorded on Shure microphones. Born in Chicago, Shure has been bringing stories to life on stage and in the studio for nearly 100 years. Whether you're listening along or starting a project of your own, Shure makes extraordinary audio products you can rely on anywhere, anytime. Learn more at Shure.com. All right, so this week on Chicago Queer, now we have a very special guest, um, and it is the lovely Karen Hawkins, the co-publisher, co-editor-in-chief, and just editorial extraordinaire at The Reader. Yay! Thank you for Yay. having me. How are you doing? I am doing all right. I um, I will admit, listeners, that that couple, that took a couple takes, and I was just picturing um, Trixie and Katya with, mm, like, I yes. just- I feel like that's very our vibe. Um, so thank you so much for uh, being on the pod. The pod. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm so excited to see y'all. Yeah, and Karen, we mostly know you just like as our our fearless leader of the, of the reader. So I'm excited to talk to you more about like your personal life just as like a queer Chicagoan. I love it. I mean, what journalist doesn't love talking about themselves? So yes. <laughs> oh my God, truly. It's like we... Every journalist secretly loves to gossip and then loves to talk about themselves. Um, So Taryn, do you want to get us started off with some questions? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously you work at The Reader now, but your your baby, your project is Rebellious Magazine. So we'd love for you to talk about how that came about um, and just like how your identity as like a queer Black woman played into the creation of that. Absolutely. And, you know, journalists both love talking about themselves and of course their passion projects and Rebellious <laughs> Magazine is absolutely... <laughs> My passion project, we're at rebelliousmagazine.com and it is a feminist magazine online only. And we do arts and culture, music, comedy, politics, news. We have a grant from the Field Foundation to cover sexual health and reproductive justice for this year. So we have a couple of folks incredible. doing that kind of work, right? Um, shout out to Field Foundation. So we really do try to have coverage that reflects all of who people are. I was told once that I needed to hone down into one thing and I thought, but feminists are whole people with a lot of interests and a lot of things going on. We need to cover all of that stuff. So that's what we do. I founded Rebellious in March of 2012. So we turned 10 next year. And oh, wow, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I will just say to folks who hear that number and have never heard of Rebellious, like that's fine with me. <laughs> like, <we've>... Yes. Tell <laughs> them. All right. Like that's okay. <laughs> we have grown very slowly. Rebellious was never, has never in that 10 year period been my full-time job. I have always had multiple brains working on multiple things. So I am happy with our growth. And frankly, I'm just relieved to still be around. I have seen a lot of very, very shiny magazines come and go in the last 10 years. And we might not be the shiniest thing out there, but we are still here. Um, no, especially and during the pandemic, that is impressive in oh itself. Gosh, so <gasps> I right? will say, I love Rebellious, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I will just give one note. So I, I wanted to make sure I answered about me as a queer black woman, a queer black, black feminist, a queer black feminist over 40 and kind of what this journey has meant to me. And I founded Rebellious as I was leaving my job with the Associated Press. I'm just gonna say the name this time. Um, <laughs> usually I make a joke about not saying AP, but I worked for the AP. I was a breaking news reporter and Ooh. really, really loved it uh, until I didn't love it and realized that I always wanted to start my own thing. My master's from Adil, shout out Adil. Um, hey. My message from Adil is in magazine publishing. I had always intended to found my own publication and was so fortunate to get a job right out of grad school at the AP. And so did that for six and a half years, but knew that my love was always going to be entrepreneurship. Um, so that's how it came about. Amazing. Um, I know you've, so uh, you've hinted at some difficult experiences at the AP. What was it like to just like break away from that and now be presumably more more like yourself and more settled in the, you know, like less institutionalized, like quote unquote, objective journalism. Ooh, there's a lot to unpack there. Thank you for asking <laughs> that. Um, I will just say I have heard, I left the AP, of course, also 10 years ago, hmm. almost 10 years ago. And I, I have heard that uh, the culture has improved since I left, but I will tell you an out, being an out queer black woman was like not the best experience in a mainstream Ooh. newsroom that old and that large. Mm -hmm. um, and a story for another day is how I got the name Rebellious. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, there are people who aspire to work in mainstream newsrooms and big legacy media organizations like the AP. It's the oldest and largest news organization in the world. I have so much respect for people who want to do that, but I also recognize that there are people who aspire to do the thing that we all do 
which is to work in the alternative press and to work mm -hmm. in alt media and to work for people who realize that journalism is constantly evolving, the industry is evolving, our notion of objectivity is evolving. And I am hoping that as people graduate with these very, very, very expensive journalism degrees, that they do look to the alternative Trigger. press and that we can afford yeah. I mean, Adam and I have had conversations about like both of us being pretty young. And for me, this is my first job out of college working at the reader. Um, and it's just such a privilege to not be in a place with that much uh, kind of historical weight and like oftentimes like toxicity around being queer and all of that. So yeah, I will say this is, um, I think I've told Karen and Taryn and anyone who will listen to this like thousands of times, but Karen is actually my first boss who's ever been queer. My first boss who like has ever just like let me report on what I want to report on. And like I worked in like, like quote unquote legacy media in New York City for a while. And like Karen is saying, it is just like truly not it. If like particularly you hold one marginalized identity, but um if you hold more than one, it's certainly a very, very difficult place to, I guess, show up every day. And at many places, like check your identities at the door or be expected to. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess uh, that leads into my next question. But um, how would you say that your experience like at the AP influence like your leadership style at the reader? Because, you know, like Taryn and I have mentioned, like, it's frankly a great place to work. And so especially as like queer people and marginalized people, I think there's like so much support for like various identities here. And so how, I guess, like did your negative experiences impact how you show up for like your employees? Well, first, I so appreciate y'all saying that and that you feeling that way it has been really important to me since I joined The Reader two and a half years ago to create that kind of environment where people can bring their whole selves and you don't have to check parts of yourself. And that it, be an amazing workplace, not just for marginalized folks, but for all folks. And so um, one disclaimer, I had some, I had negative experiences with AP, but I also had amazing experiences. I met some amazing people who I still love and enjoy. And I miss the camaraderie of that newsroom. Um, I think most of the things I learned were how not to do things, frankly, in terms of, of, of morale and, and employee culture and the notion that employees are actual people, human beings with lives outside of work and that work is always, that work needs to be flexible and that we need to create an environment in which you, we shape work around your life, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been really important to me that you all feel like I see you as people and that I see you as people who need shit that isn't just work related. Like you need time off and you need flexibility in your schedules and you need to vent and you need access to mental health care. And uh, I feel like the AP really viewed us. We used to joke, um, I am stealing this from somebody who referred to us as interchangeable news units. Like mm. there were so many of us, such a big organization. It was just like, oh, you can't do it. We're gonna pluck you out and then put somebody else in and it doesn't matter. You're all the same. Uh, and I, I never wanna, I never want people who work with me to feel that way. Yeah. Well, this this is turning just into a like compliment Karen segment, but I so I think that should be actually just be a segment on the podcast. Compliment it can Karen. Be. Um, but yeah, I so appreciate, especially working here during the pandemic, that that has always been such a priority for you. Like just you being like, for the love of God, like take your time off, like stop Truly. prioritizing work, like. All of that is so nice to hear. Um, 
because not everybody at the reader and otherwise is is like that so mm-hmm. yeah it's, for sure. it's a great reminder every day so i think as we've just discussed for very good reason i think a lot of people um know and like love you in chicago and beyond i mean you know you work with a lot of um really wonderful organizations including nalja the association of lgbtq plus journalists how does it feel to like have such like a prominent and like respected role in like the i don't know it feels so weird i feel like every time i've like said like oh i work with karen hawkins everyone is like completely mind blown and so they're like always so like karen how's it feel to be famous oh my god y'all are killing me with this question what are you even talking about i appreciate that but let me tell you i'm not famous famously famous famous. um you're you are hosting an award-winning podcast. I'm giving you an award right now. Um, yes, I'm putting it in the bio. <laughs> I will just say this. I am so grateful to still be in journal or to be back in journalism. I have left several times over the course of my career, my very long career. I'm twice as old as Joel. Uh, and I'm incredibly grateful to be back and to uh, feel like I'm making an impact and to be back at the reader, which is like, I mean, people talk, I feel like dream job is just too like flip it away to put it. Like I grew up reading the reader. I grew up sneaking into Chicago from the suburbs to pick up the reader. Like this is really a dream come true. And I, like I said, I'm grateful to still be here and I'm grateful to have honestly really happy that I had jobs outside of journalism because I think it all informs what I do today. And, you know, you asked about leadership and it has formed how I view leadership and how I view morale and how it's important to create culture. And yeah, it's, it's a stressful, this is a stressful place to be, but I wouldn't (laughs) want to be anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I hinted at this uh, earlier in my uh, question, but you work uh, really, really closely with uh, like up and coming queer reporters, particularly like student journalists. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like what motivates that work and like if you have any advice for queer people who want to be journalists, like, young queer people who want to be journalists? Ooh, yes. Uh, and I, I will say I have, I've handed, so I, I have worked with some folks in my job at The Reader. I've tried to recruit some folks and to give assignments to folks. The majority of that mentorship work I did with NLGJA as you mentioned, the Association of LGBTQ plus journalists. I was a mentor for the student project at the conference for like almost 15 years. Uh, and I just loved it. And it was always really important to me to be an out queer black woman in that space to show people what it's like to be this person and that, you know, you can't be it if you don't see it. And I, every time I felt like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this again. You know, I would, you know, interact with the students and just remember like how important it is that they see somebody who's out and who talks the way I do about leadership and diversity and morale, morale and um, bringing your whole self to work. And like, we can swear on this podcast, right? Like not putting up with the bullshit you put up with in newsrooms and really just telling people as you're going into the industry, like you are going to get your dream job and it's going to be a nightmare and that's going to be okay. And you got to get out. Right. Like I think Mm -hmm. we all idealize these jobs and get into them and our families are so proud of us and we're miserable and we don't want to leave. And I really just always told people, like, if you were having a bad experience at your dream job, you got to get out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will just have to say this is a non-explicit podcast, so we're going to have to cut down on the swearing. Okay. 
<laughs> sure, sure, sure. Definitely. You know, reader, famously conservative publication. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I'm so, so um, sorry. I do want to pivot a little bit to hear about like your history as a queer person. And I don't know if there's a story about your coming out, your coming to terms with your identity and all of that good stuff. Yes. All right. And I know y'all have heard this story, but I'm going to tell you again anyway. Yep, yep, yep. So um, I was newly out. I was living in Milwaukee. I had a job at the newspaper there. Um, I was newly out to myself, but not out to anyone else. And came down to Chicago for a conference. It was a Black queer conference. I came with a friend from college and it was at McCormick Place, which as you all know, is like miles large. It's just like this absolutely massive city downtown. Oh my God, absolutely massive. And I was so excited, like frolicking around McCormick Place with my, you know, one of my best friends and all these out, right? Uh, Black queer folks and really like, just kind of like stepping into this identity more. And I looked across the hallway at McCormick Place and the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists was meeting. And I knew my cousin was a member and I, I freaked out real bad. <laughs> I freaked out so bad. We've all been there. I freaked, I mean, you know, I'm in my early twenties. Uh, I'm just like, I mean, I'm in my early twenties and it is the late 1990s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not like Glee hasn't come on yet. There is no Ryan Murphy, right? You know what I'm saying? So uh Pose was not Emmy winning. No. Right. I think Ellen had maybe just come out. Uh so I freaked out. I went and hid in a ballroom, hyperventilating. My friend came and found me, and she was like, she just looked so disappointed that I was hiding and freaking out. And I was just like, I can just never, I don't want to be this person, right? Like, I don't want to be hiding in a ballroom, hyperventilating. I just, I just want to be me. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, left the ballroom, head held high, secretly hoping I didn't run into my cousin. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I didn't. Oh my God. Um, After all that, nothing. (laughs) After all that, nothing. She like wasn't even there. Uh, But I did come out to my family after that and slowly started coming out to more people. Um, I say slowly, it wasn't really slowly. I just became really obnoxious because I left Same. the paper in Milwaukee, right? And uh, got a job at the Windy City Times, which we used to call the Windy Shitty Times. Um, sorry, Tracy. And <laughs> I, as I was leaving my job in Milwaukee, like working at Windy City Times became the way that I came out. Oh, Karen, you're leaving us. I'm so sorry to see you go. Where are you going? I'm going to the Windy City Times. Oh, I've never heard of it. It's the gay paper, right? Like That's I'm very convenient. Yes, that's fierce. <laughs> right. That's fierce. I love that. So that was really fun. And I did have people actually ask me, oh, well, well, no, well, you, you, right? Like there was a lot of confusion. Like, just like, you can just see like them the working. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> the mental <laughs> calculus like going on and being yep. like, wait. Does that mean? Could oh it God. be? Could it? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, so what just... was it like, like being a young queer person in Chicago? Like what kind of spaces were like safe havens for you? Uh, we've talked a little bit about just like, yeah, party spaces for, for the lesbian community and stuff. Like, tell me about that. tell of certain parties related to a <laughs> certain oh zodiac sign. This trip down memory lane makes me sad every time, y'all. Um, so, as you've heard me say before, 
I moved down to Chicago and absolutely took for granted that this was what lesbian life was like. We had a lesbian neighborhood, which was Andersonville. We had lesbian bars. We had lesbian parties. We had lesbian restaurants. And I just thought like, oh, word, this is what being a lesbian is like, this is going to be great. <laughs> not so much. Uh, and of course, so many of those things are now gone, if not all of them. But the horoscope sign party that you're referring to, was, of course, <laughs> the Capricorn party. Uh, which Tracy was instrumental in because there were, I think there are seven of them whose birthdays are all either on the same day in January or right around it. They're all Capricorns. And they would have this three-story party at a three-flat in Andersonville. When you signed a lease to be in the building, you had to agree to open your apartment for this party one night in January. And it was such a blast. I mean, there'd be hundreds of people. <sighs> hanging out, drinking, being ridiculous. There was a woman who lived on the top floor. Angela, this is coming back to me now. Sorry to call you out, Angela, who like the top floor was where the dirty things would happen. Like Angela had like a kissing booth and like oh a my wheel. God. You had kissing booth. Oh my God. Yes. Damn. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all coming back to me now. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just literally for years just assumed that those things would always be true. Um, but that's very different now. Incredible. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> so one thing we really like to focus on on the podcast is queer joy. And frankly, how much fucking fun it is to be queer. Um, I like to say all the time that it would be incredibly boring if I were straight. I like 90% of my personality is like related to me being queer. And I love that. Like I'm totally <laughs> fine with that. Um, but so what is one thing or you can what are some things that uh, you love about being queer, Karen? So many things. And I totally agree. I, it's so funny. Cause I, when I first came out, I started going to the pride parade and I remember my straight friends at the time, just being like, well, wait, you, you get to go to a party all day. Just, just cause you're gay. It's like, yeah, <laughs> of course I do. The hell? Of course we do. It's like, what do you mean? That's what 90% of being gay is a party. Yeah. I mean, hello. So mm. definitely the pride parade. Also, I love the idea of traveling around the world and you will always be able to find queer, well, I shouldn't say always. You most of the time can find queer people. Yeah. I really love that. It is really this universal, you find that rainbow flag or that rainbow multicolored flag. And sometimes you stumble in and it turns out it's a gay, gay male leather bar and you're like, oh, hi everybody. Okay, bye. <laughs> nice to, okay, I'm gonna go. Accidentally yeah. stumble into Touche one day. You're like, oh, hi, hello. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Uh, it's like, oh, I didn't know legs aren't supposed to go there, friend. Sorry. <laughs> well, and now I know what all the flags mean. Good for me now. Uh, so I love that. And <laughs> I, uh, I, I also, I, right. I love that there's this culture that you share with people. Of course, there are as many different ways to be queer as there are queer people, but I love that we have this a set of shared things. And I think we've all talked about, I love that we get to make things up as we go because mainstream culture and relationship structures and all of those things for so long left us out that we have really constructed our own way of doing things. And I love that. And I really, as I've gotten older, I've watched even my straight friends enter into different kinds of partnerships and relationships and have their minds opened about different ways of being in the world that I feel like is directly inspired by the way that queer people are in the world. Oh, a hundred percent. I like, I don't think any straight people would have quote unquote like open marriages or anything if like they did not know like 
a queer thruple or something like that. I feel like it is always just like, oh my God, did you hear that what the gays are doing? Can we do that? So obviously we've discussed like your very prominent role in queer media in Chicago and elsewhere in the country. But what, um, I guess, what does the future of queer media look like to you? Ooh, queer media. Well, I am really hoping that there is a resurgence in queer media and that there's a resurgence in a niche journal, what we think of as niche journalism in general. Uh, I hope that people realize that the way that mainstream media outlets cover us just isn't ever going to be the same. It is never going to be good enough. And, you know, the queer press obviously has shrunk as precipitously as every other, you know, kind of media over time. But I do hope that younger people in particular start to seek out and to want media that speaks to them in their own language, rather than being filtered through straight publications or straight editors. And I'm always really happy when I see new queer media startups uh, that like teach me things and that really push, just push not only the whole culture, but queer culture also into different places. Last time we talked about your your partner Sam a little bit did you want to also get into that um how how did you meet your partner um we've seen her her famous covers of the reader um but is there a story behind that at all yes uh shout out to Sam yes she shot six or seven of our covers in 2020 which is amazing damn Um, I know she's a photographer she works for photoshop uh we met through mutual for photoshop yeah she works for adobe she works on photoshop Oh, damn. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I just, I didn't know. That's just fun for me to know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Same <laughs> works in Photoshop. She's like really high up at Photoshop. She's a big deal. That's really um, cool. <laughs> yes. We met through a mutual friend who Sam knew from the St. Pete Times. They worked together and I knew from the AP. Um, yeah. And we've been together almost nine years. Um, but you are long distance, correct? Yes. So Sam splits her time generally between Seattle and Chicago. She's been here most of the pandemic, very fortunately. But yeah, we're long distance. I know for nine years. And I know we talked about like queer people making relationships up as we go. And this is definitely, yeah, being long distance for nine years is definitely an example of that. Like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, but if it works for y'all, like, I think that's really the only benchmark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, that just about wraps up the episode. Thank you so much, Karen, for being here. It was so good to talk to you. Um, We are going to end today's episode like we end every episode, and that is with our favorite queer things this week. Uh, So I'll start us off. So my favorite queer thing this week is the fish tank that my partner and I are continuing to just like build upon. It's truly just going to turn into like a circuit party in there. There's like glow lights, there's a volcano. I mean, there's gonna be like a go-go boy or two in there somewhere soon, I swear. Um, but yeah, what that's are your my first thing named? this week. Oh, uh, they are four of the girls from Destiny's Child. It's Beyonce, Kelly, Michelle, and Latavia right now. So you can't leave that detail out. That's that's an important part of it. <laughs> yes. Yep. And we have a snail named Gary and a shrimp named Jacques. Sounds perfect. Gary and Jacques. Why Gary and Jacques? Well, Jacques is the name of the shrimp in Finding Nemo, and oh. Gary is the name of the snail in SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> it's truly oh just God. like a cacophony of like that nonsense is. in there. Yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. The snaps to your. Queer fish tank, queer circuit party fish, underwater circuit party fish tank. Um, 
Wow. Uh, so my queer pick uh, is a book by a Chicago queer author named Kayla Ankram, who I got to interview for the Chicago Reader Book Club last month. Kayla Ankram uh, wrote a book called Darling, which is a modern retelling of Peter Pan that is super, super, super scary. It is YA, but it is very, very much adult. Uh, I loved it. And it's got queer characters in it. And it's just really atmospheric and lovely and set in Chicago. And it's such a, I love retellings of, of old stories. So uh, that is my queer pick this week. I mean, like cool. Peter Pan was already terrifying to me as a child. So like an amped up, like scary Peter Pan, like definitely I like <laughs> yeah. will probably like take a hit before I read it. So I like calm my nerves. <laughs> so don't read it alone. Taryn, what's it your, <laughs> what's your queer pick? Uh, my queer pick is my pen pal. Um, I got a pen pal through the organization Black and Pink. Um, <gasps> they're a national organization uh, for like LGBT incarcerated people. They That's have a chapter amazing. in Chicago. Yeah, so pretty early on in the pandemic, my girlfriend and I signed up to get pen pals. Um, so I've been writing to someone named Douglas and we've had a lot of really cool conversations. Uh, she's like newly kind of discovering herself as a bisexual trans woman. And it's just wow. been super rewarding the whole time. So highly recommend Black and Pink is awesome. They're doing great like abolitionist work and stuff. So th that's why oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just me and my really fish is. tank over here. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Both um, are good. Yeah. So thank you all so much for joining us this week. Again, thank you, Karen, for coming on. It was lovely to talk to you, spill some tea, all that fun stuff that we do all the time at The Reader. We'll have you um, back for another compliment Karen segment. Oh, yes. thank you. Um, I mean, I will just say thank you both so much for having me on. And I will just say there's so many terrible Karens in the world. If we can generate some positive Karen energy, I'm here for it. You're so the good you. one for sure. Yes. Thank you. Karen is the good. I have actually described you to my friends as like the one good Karen I know. <laughs> um, oh, and everyone should go on Karen's web website and read their essay about being a nice Karen. Oh, yes. BlackKarenHawkins.com. Yes. Mm. BlackKarenHawkins.com. Tell that's there. Oh. oh my God, so funny. All right, we'll see y'all next week. Chicago Queer and Now is a podcast from the Chicago Reader, the city's independent bi-weekly alt-newspaper that's been keeping things free and freaky since 1971. The show is hosted by Adam Rhodes and Taryn Allen, produced by Brianna Wellen, and edited by Adam Rhodes. It features original theme music by Richard Brazil, voice work by me, Kirk Williamson, and show logos by Taryn Allen. Reach out to us at cqn at chicagoreader.com. Follow us on Twitter at ChicagoQueerNow and support this podcast and the rest of the Chicago Reader team by going to chicagoreader.com slash donate.